second act podcast as i always say it is a continuation yet an evolution the act of finding meaning fulfillment and a deep sense of purpose in the beginning i thought this medium would be a place to learn from experiences of others during what this platform has given us and so many recordings that we have done the name itself has become synonymous to so many different ideas for some it spells hope for the others inspiration and for me today it purely spells power it is a place where people come to narrate their experiences a place of learning and viewing the world from someone else's perspective a place to share learn confess express and take away we at second act truly believe that learnings happen through conversations imanshu thank you for being on the podcast it's uh, an thank you archana it's really um, you know i was doing this podcast and you know when i completed my 50 i said what change can i bring uh, which was missing probably in my earlier podcast and i said i need to talk about the life the background and the place the people are coming from and not only talk about their present profession how uh, you know they're changing their lives with it but where are you coming from because uh, people like you who are in the coaching sphere would understand this that you know all the uh, things that we don't um, process or like you know bring forward because we feel this is my limiting belief as we call it uh, it comes from you know from you know our childhood or some things that probably have happened before so it's very important to know that how we have dealt with those things come out of it and when i read your story i want to tell everybody i'll give you a short introduction about you himanshu before we set off because it's very important um and a very impressive story that uh, you have so himanshu you were born in aligarh uh you did your schooling and uh, of course college uh, also uh, from aligarh muslim university uh very interestingly you started uh with a career as a geologist uh and then joined indian army uh, we will talk a lot more about that and now a coach so really like you know i i've not met anybody with such diverse platforms uh in one's career uh whether it was by choice or default we will also talk about that and um you started from a very small town a middle class setting with very modest means of course and you know your journey through and that's what we are very intrigued with and i want to talk more about it and um the typical failures lack of direction resources are necessary to gain the advantage in life uh, the story about progress growth and transformation i think you are bundled up into a lot of these things in the present moment of course uh, you are leading leaders of the world you are strategizing for them you are one person who shows people that transformation happens from within and a lot can be dealt with so i've seen a lot of your videos where you talk about being in nature how you align yourself you know when you really talk about the mountains the rivers the the nature around us and what can we derive from there so very impressive about that as well so welcome 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 and uh, thank you for this time it's beautiful to have you because i do not think 45 minutes will do justice to your life and what you do but here we begin So Manchu my first question to you is coming from a very small town uh and this journey how has that transition been with different phases so we'll break it down so let's do the first phase of your life as a geologist and then we move to the army and then we move to what you're doing right now Sure thank you Ashna 
it's an absolute joy to be here. And what you're doing is amazing because life has unfolded uh, for us, but someone else is required to get the nuggets of that life as it happened so that the wisdom could be used uh, for many other people. I wish I had the chance to listen to someone uh, who would have been uh, recorded and spoken by you. It could have given me insights for future. <laughs> really happy to be here, Arshna. Thank you so much. And I want to know, of course, uh, the starting of your journey coming from a small town like Aligarh, geologist, how did you get to that profession in the beginning of your career? But to be honest, I didn't do very well in my class 10th. And as a result, you would not get that typical combination of PCM, physics, chemistry, and maths. And that I did my schooling from Delhi. So I moved back and I'd heard a lot about AMU, which is a good university. Right. So those days, uh, what you get in life is more important uh, than what you aspire and you may not get it. So I applied and I got this combination of geology, physics, and maths. And I thought, let's make an entry into this beautiful university and then see how it goes. Right. And more I started learning about the subject, I started enjoying. It's a fascinating subject because it helped, It teaches us three things, uh, exploration, right. it teaches us excavation, it teaches us how to do an expedition. And all these things uh, I picked up subconsciously, which I do it as a coach when I work with uh, others. So. That's how I landed in geology. And I think uh, I came in contact with one of the professors no more. Uh, his name is Essen Bala. And the way he would come teach and take us deep into the subject, it was a wonderful storytelling. He would leave us mesmerized. And I used to think those days that one day I would be a teacher like him or a professor like him. But trust me, it took me 30 plus years of hard operational, uh, managerial life to eventually do what I do now, which is teach, transfer, and transform. So that's the role geology plays. Very nice. And uh, tell me about, of course, you know, what, how you're bringing it to life now <clears throat> also has a lot to do with your switchover of a career. So you were doing, you were enjoying this as I hear you. But then yeah. why did you switch to something so dynamic as being in the army? Because... I mean, you know, we normal people do not think such uh, drastic transformations as far as career shift is concerned. I think multiple facets, the, but the first one, which I use as larger theme of life, which is two things can change the course of your life, the books that you read and people that you meet. So initially I did not read too many books, but meeting people brought me chance encounters. So actually I met two young uh, captains of Indian Army on New Delhi platform number 19. They also incidentally happened to be from AMU and I knew they're from engineering college. When I saw them lovely olive green, I got fascinated and uh, reached to them and tried to have a conversation that how come you guys are here? So obviously they spoke very highly about the choices that they made and how they are enjoying. And they also said, uh, when I said, can I also get there? They also kind of put me down or dissuaded. No, 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 you can't make it. It requires men of steel to get there. So a factor of both, the fascination, uh, what I heard from their story and someone dissuading that you can't do that, definitely played a very key role in making a bold choice to get there. But if I go back, I always loved 
the war movies, uh, some of the old classics, Indian uh, movies and Western war movies. So there was a kind of intrigue factor um, how the story unfolded. And of course, 71 war, we were very young, but we used to hear about blackout, etc. So some of those early experiences, uh, the famous song of uh, Devanand, the waist shot. I think that was deeply etched in my mind. So a couple of factors eventually motivated me to get there. And then the army life, tell me, uh, from being a civilian to an army, you know, the thought of it is, the first flashes which come to me is like, oh my God, rigorous. Uh, I don't think I can do it. They will really squeeze you to the, the hardest of your physical potential. Um, you know, so it, so with all those, didn't it worry you that um, will you be able to do it or not? Yeah, I think it's like this. You land up there, you face the odds and the rigor. You do wonder, have you made a right choice? You feel like quitting. So one goes through all those emotions. See, from a university life where I would not have joined the first class anywhere before 10 o'clock, get up coolly and then walk into the class and from there uh, switching it to getting up at 3 30 and the cold winters of Dehradun and all kinds of rigor and physical fitness also the way the, the requirements were there I did not have those things so everything was at a stretch mental faculty physical endurance resilience emotional capacity I think army stretches just at the right time and those 18 months of training, I think, prepared me to face many more odds and challenges of life. Would I like to ever substitute that? The answer is no. Because who I am, what I am today, it's like a metallurgical furnace. Right. So you are a raw ore, if I borrow from geology, and then you are baked in the furnace to a strong alloy, which can take the rigors of life so yes everything was um, really rigorous but then there were many other moments of glory joy the the joy of doing things which you otherwise would not have done so all those things you know, kept me going the army does also bring a lot of charm and glory and i remember used to be fascinated by the forces request that would come at 9 30 all the english music the glass the charm the chivalry so it's a complete package which kind of inspired me to stick there so would you tell the generation of today you must go through an army cycle i think if everyone gets to do at least the training part the 18 months and they're purely optional i think this country would really go a couple of notches above in terms of accountability sense of discipline how much you can get out of your life uh, by being resilient, sense of discipline, accountability, ownership, credibility, and the way you would treat people. So, so many things, and that's the stock of country which is suffering today. So if people can be, can have the experience, I think it will help them in the times to come. Beautiful. So looking at how you did it, it was more like, okay, you plunged into it, and then you said, okay, let me take it head on now that I'm here. You thought of quitting, but you didn't. 
and you stuck on to, you know, and then today, this, when you look back, you said, this was probably something that I will never want to exchange this for. So tell yes. me, um, you know, many a times I've heard that you must plan your life. You must, before you get to something, you must, you know, do all the background checks and like, you know, be prepared and you should know the pros and cons. But what's also worked for me is that I plunged into something. I left my corporate life uh, without thinking much what I wanted to do. And a beautiful platform like Second Act came on. Of course, it wasn't easy. There was a lot of crying, howling, uh, to, you know, like all those uh, very anxious moments to say, what have I done? But at the same mm. time, something better came out of what I didn't expect. What has your experience been? Should we plunge into something and then take it head on? Or should we really plan something? What is... Your, yeah. Yeah. See, as a coach, I'm constantly discovering that life is not binary or it's not to be lived through one particular lens. I often give this example like sometimes you got to look before you leap. Right. But sometimes you got to leap before you look. And you got to develop the discretion when to do what. So maybe 1986, I think I left before I looked because if I had pondered and considered a little more probably I would have chickened out yeah but many years later when I was in war college there was a navy seal guy who had come to deliver a guest talk in the war college and he had lost his legs in Iraq war and now he was a Bain partner senior Bain partner so after quit quitting the army because he was not good for there he did his MBA from Harvard Business School and uh, he saw himself in a different avatar. So his coming and meeting and delivering talk then prepared me for another trigger, which is to move to the corporate. Mm. And the trigger was planted. I knew that I cannot make a leap now. Now I need to look and plan. Right. So over the five, six years, I really prepared very deeply and hard. I would have read maybe 300 plus HBR articles, J.T. Gurney reports, McKinsey, BCG, financial reports, marathon preparation, because I was determined that this is not one life which should only be surrendered to one domain. Hmm. So how can I prepare? Right. And somewhere I love a typical Greek story where somebody will start as a student, then he will join as a warrior. He'll come back and join Senate. Right. And then he'll join Politburo or a scholar and philosopher. So why not so many avatars in one life? <laughs> so I did both. Sometimes I plunged and sometimes I deliberately planned. Today, I'm a strong believer of vision. I often say in life, creating future is a combination of two things. Number one, you got to have a vision. Right. And secondly, you got to have ironclad rituals because vision without rituals will not manifest. Wow. Yes. That's very deep, I have to say. But um, when I was also reading something that you had sent me before, you know, what I liked was that you speak a lot about finding your why. And uh, through a vision, what you just spoke, you know, it's it's not that easy, actually, um, like it, at least for the last 26, 27 years while I was working in a very, uh, you know, in very stable jobs and uh, doing my best and really performing well. 
somewhere this why was never defined for me and until i really took that time out i actually spent the time with myself and i said okay now what do i do from here on i need to define mm-hmm. it i need to make it more worth it it's only one life and this came to me very very late uh, how do you think one should and I, i'm sure that a lot of people are still struggling or don't even have in the periphery of defining a why so how should we start and like how do we get to people actually asking why should i do something or why am i even living or what what is my really bigger why yeah firstly i archana there's nothing ever late it happens when it happens when it is due okay we may see late and early is all comparative right your experiences your awareness the people who you come in contact with they all bring you triggers and if we are mindful of those triggers then we can really notice and pay attention to those triggers coming back this is not serendipity that one fine day under a bodhi tree you you get a enlightenment that this is your why right figuring out why is a structured exploration hmm. it's a it's a set of asking questions and staying with these questions questions like uh, what does universe want to achieve through me hmm. now many people would discard this question yeah what am i really cut out for am i just an act of procreation or have i come in this world with a sense of purpose now both are right Beautiful. depends on what you choose you choose the first one you will live a normal life and when you choose other that's also a normal life but the impact of both the lives and trajectories would differ so the longest journey is inwards mm-hmm. and it must begin with question that who am i right what am i really meant for it's a question of identity marshall goldsmith has done some wonderful work on identity he said that we are a sum of four kinds of identity number one remembered identity what we remember from our past this is about past and self then reflected identity what others told about us and what we heard from them then programmed identity people are programming you or oh, you can't be an engineer you can't be a doctor you're only good for this right <clears throat> and we take everything subconsciously on our neural pathways now awakening happens when we start questioning the very basic beliefs that have got us here i often say people are product of experiences but experiences have a shelf life too and somewhere you know those seeds have been planted of your why are you noticing them right like when i look back maybe when i was 3 years old one fine day my mom caught hold of my bag and she said why your bag is so heavy and my bag had full of books because i had fascination for books even those books i could not make any head and sense i just wanted to feel very la- nice having a set of books isn't that an indication that right books are going to have a very important chapter in my life 
Yeah. Then in my university, I used to really love the way a particular professor would teach. That's a sign that maybe you are meant for teach, transfer, and transform. But none of those things I did for the first 25 years. Hmm. So what does that mean? It means going back and asking why certain things happen in your life, what's the meaning they have for you in the future, and then constructing your future. Right. So this is how uh, you could do. I often take people in off-sites on this uh, retreat on Discover Your Purpose, and I use strong frameworks to help them guide through. Himanshu, we need to do this together because... We take them for retreats saying, discover your second act. And uh, it's literally the same. Uh, you know, if you don't know the purpose, yeah. how will you discover inner potential inside you? So, Ashna, there are always some weak signals which are giving us indication. It's up to us to amplify those weak signals. And that's where the clarity emerges for future. Right. I mean, uh, it's also that, you know, when you meet some people like Marshall Goldsmith, okay, you were lucky that also, you know, I would say also God signals sometimes that you also come across a lot of people. And that's why this podcast is so important because while we are not able to meet them physically or, you know, like one-on-one, -on -one, but we literally hear somebody's life story, somebody what, you know, impacts people had throughout their life, which changed their course of life, they, where yeah. they could find a bigger purpose. So I hear that, of course, the meeting with Mr. Goldsmith made a bigger impact on your life. And that's, was that the starting of your coaching journey? Yeah, let me build on this uh, by saying, I'm going to repeat my quote, two things can change the course of your life, the books that you read and people that you meet. I actually met five people in my life who changed my life irreversibly. Wow. Number one, those two young captains on New Delhi platform. Right. And that Navy SEAL guy who I met in War College. Then I met a UN official who was responsible for me, for my UN stint. Then I met Mr. Ramadurite Heathrow, London, which led me to come to TCS. And then I took a team of top leaders for a program on innovation to Tuck School of Business where I met Vijay Govind Rajan. And through him, I met Marshall Goldsmith. So what I'm sharing with you, it's a combination of chance encounters and intentional choices. In all the five cases, they could just have been a simple encounters. I would not have done anything. But what you do with those chance encounters and you make those intentional choices and you start wondering, oh, can I be like him? Can, can that be my future? So only when you start questioning or exploring those questions, then something magical happens. Mm. So when I met Marshall Goldsmith, uh, he was taking a session with uh, one of the, the class, the MBAs or something, the board outside what got you here did not get you there. I entered the class unannounced and he asked me, up front, uh, are you sure you're supposed to be here? And I said, you never know, only future will tell. That's how I responded and he quite liked the answer. And then I asked my friend Clark Allen that, uh, oh, how can I spend time with this gentleman? He said, oh, we are having a dinner in the evening, you be my guest. And that's how I happened to sit with him in the car to the hotel and 
That's where he asked the question, Simanshu, what would you be five years from now? At that moment, intuition plays a very important role. And I said, I will be in your, I'll be in your footsteps. So intentional choices are equally important as chance encounters are. So the message to the people are, firstly, be in this world, meet people, reach out to people, learn what they are doing, pick their ideas, build connection, build conversation. You never know which of these conversations can meaningfully unfold into a new possibility. True. Make sense? Very much. And I'm hearing every bit very, very carefully. And, um, and thank you for sharing. I mean, you know, it's not that everybody also shares so openly and um, gives out all the nudges. So I really appreciate that. And I'm sure people who are hearing us, there I'm is not, much <laughs> to learn. I'm not allowed to take it to grave, so might as well give it away. <laughs> not everybody thinks like that as well. We sit on huge pots of uh, gold. So I was just uh, hearing the story, which, um, you know, a dear person whom I follow on Beyond channel called Palki Upadhyay. She brings in stories of relevance. She brings in news in a different way with a lot of research analysis. I love the way she does things. And she brought out a story about how much money is lying in RBI uh, unclaimed because people do not like to share while they're alive and then they don't disclose and then there is huge pot of money sitting there so i'm just coming from there that you never know people want to take it to the grave i guess and then you don't know yeah. what with it <laughs> so sure, thank you for sharing that it's beautiful so okay so then a bane happened after your so no coming back to your army life okay so how many years was that and um, why did you i know that of course you switched over to bain after that but like why did you think of this transition after you were getting really a lot from that life and you know it transitioned you completely? Uh, no, I didn't shift to Bain. The Bain was an inspiration for me to choose another career. And ah, okay. um, that's where I landed in TCS to head the strategy and leadership development. Ah, okay. Uh, but uh, what's your question if I hear it again? So I said, why did this transition happen of leaving army then? Yeah. I think the part of that is triggered by the conversation from the Bain guy, the Navy SEAL fellow. Oh, okay. It gave me a kind of a possibility that there's another shade of my life which I can discover. And at that point of time, I was also getting intellectually stimulated. And I wanted when to give vent to my creativity. I wanted to teach. So a combination of these things gave me that maybe my time here, it's over and I need to find a new territory, a new iceberg where I can impact completely a different world. So it's like you are finding that, okay, this is not giving you the real stimulus that you need for future. And I just noticed that mindfully and I try to explore what's the message for me in future. What am I really cut out for now? So it's a combination of these things. I was doing extremely well in the forces. And I did probably all the credible things that a high professional or a career guy would have done. But it's a combination of, is that still 
enthusing me or is it something else that I'm driven towards? So I think it's a combination of what I'm now driven to, what excites me, hmm. what I want to read about, what I want to learn about, what I want to disrupt about. Hmm. So it's a combination of those interests which are creating a strong pull for me. And I decided to leave at the peak of my career. I often say, guys, the best way to stay relevant is to disrupt when you're at the peak of something. Wow. Thereafter, it's plateau and then you go down to the valley. So renewal happens like this. As penguins, if we are uh, sitting on an iceberg which is melting, not because it's not relevant for others, for you. So then you need to find a new iceberg where you can lead another healthy, impactful life. So I also hear you saying that risk-taking ability is something which is also a friend of yours. Um, how yeah. do we build on that? I mean, everybody doesn't have that risk-taking ability. We are always very fearful people, you know, so. Yeah, I use this line very often, let risk be your best friend. And uh, risk can be planned. See, I have a wonderful acronym which I created for risk. See, from the distance, the risk looks scary. But when you get closer to the risk, you find there are certain things that are doable. So for me, risk, R stands for resources. Okay. If we have resources, we can take the risk. I stand for innovation. If we don't have resources, if we still want to take the jump, how can we innovate to build resources? S stands for safety net. Nine out of 10 people will take the risk if the safety net is visible to them. And K is the knowledge about the uncertainty. And I often give this example that 20 years ago, no one was jump, doing the bungee jump. Because they knew that if they fall, they will die or break. <clears throat> so what happened? Innovation happened. Resources got built in terms of the harness that you could put on and see that no one is dying. That harness acted as a safety net for us. And then we could now see the thrill and the joy or the adventure side of that. And the knowledge that if we jump, you're going to come back safe. Nothing's going to happen. So resources, innovation, safety net, and knowledge prepare us for taking the risk. So get closer to the risk. Nice. Use the new definition of risk, which I operationalize. Right. Like when I left a flourishing career in TCS, what I thought, financial risk. Hmm. I said, okay, to maintain my current lifestyle for the next two years, what's the kind of financial resources I need? And once I had planned and visualized, it became easier, the conviction became stronger that you could take the plunge. Hmm. But for that, you have to embrace risk. You have to fall in love with the risk. That's why this line, let risk be your best friend. Beautiful. I will always remember this. Thanks, Imanji. <laughs> I, I am very inspired by this uh, acronym that you use and uh, it's uh, very well placed. So thanks for sharing that. 
I also know that, uh, you know, when I talk to you, that what do you exactly do? You say that I enable people to find themselves, accept themselves, yeah. challenge themselves and rewire and then play. I think this is another thing that I think you have established. You want to talk a little bit more about it because I think it's so powerful. Everything, it's a full life circle that you have defined. Yeah. See, one of the reasons I'm in this business is uh, why should all the creativity happen in the West? That's what inspired me to create COSM. And the mission of COSM is to groom strategic minds who can deliver bold impact. And I realized that what am I doing or what I can do and whatever I can do with others, have I tasted and tested the success of that on myself? Right. So this is where I ended up creating my coaching model, which is based on five steps. Number one, we got to first find ourselves who we are, what our roots, mm -hmm. what beliefs have shaped us, what experiences have kind of formed us. So that's where find ourselves comes in. Then the question that, okay, which part of who we are, we need to accept that we can't change. Mm -hmm. Like I can't change where I studied, how I was brought up, which society I grew up, what financials uh, setup I grew up, I cannot change that. Right. So acceptance is often the path for awareness for future. So after find, accept, then comes, okay, do I just accept it or is there a portion which I can challenge? Right. Because the renewal is rooted in challenge. Hmm. All the career shifts that I've had, they are actually rooted in challenge. So this question, which part of me, my life, I can challenge. And Ashna, when we are challenging, some rewiring is bound to happen. Yeah. The rewiring of neurons, rewiring of how we think, rewiring of how do we respond. So rewiring is a very important part of life of growth. And once we have rewired ourselves, obviously now we are a new version of ourselves. So then you play yourself, play with the new found identity and reality. And many sports people like Viren Sevag or Glenn McGrath, um, they were different when they started their career. I think their coaches work with them to help them figure out who they are, where they are most appropriate, where they are on song, where they are in Zen mode. And then a little bit of rewiring, challenging, got them to the groove where they were lethal or very effective. So that's the coaching model which I use with people, for myself, five-step process. Beautiful. And um, so because you've been working now in this sphere for a while, it's a constant process. It's not that so you know, now you're a changed person. On, on. So what is your advice for people? Like, you know, is it like a constant thing that you need to do this exercise or keep these things in mind on a constant basis? How do you keep yourself motivated to do this time and over and over? Because, you know, habits, we have seen that for changing habits or changing mindsets, it takes a lifetime. It really does. It's a lot of work. Hmm. Along the way, you're human. You will fall off to say, okay, I you know what, I just can't do it. I'm just happy in this place I am. I can't do so much, you know, and more. So what's your advice there? 
See, as regards motivation is concerned, it comes from the ecosystem of triggers that you design for yourself. Right. If, if the ecosystem of triggers is really ambitious, really purposeful, really disruptive, really challenging, you just feel like doing that because there is something that happens which I call it the rub of effect. Hmm. So choose your company and setting which is inspiring and motivating. Hmm. The second thing is a strong ambition, not ambition for personal self, but ambition to make a positive impact. Right. That fires you like anything where you are on a hunt for renewal of skills mindset. A question which I often encourage uh, people, what no longer serves you? Or what no longer serves me? Right. So if you ask this question frequently, you'll be able to audit, oh, these things are not serving me. And the question about how frequently one should do, the first is to be aware about such a framework. It's like in your bag and kit bag, that timely you can refer it and see, is it time for me to apply this framework again? Right. I think a period of four to five years is not a bad time to go back to the drawing board and see, am I really cut out for what I'm doing? Or is there a new me which is waiting to unfold? So a combination of a structured thinking, periodicity and asking questions, what no longer serves me, can actually motivate us to find the new we or the new me. Yeah. And five, six years is just an indication. Seven years, it could be three years. Mm -hmm. You know, Ashna, it's the surroundings and your conscious awareness that what's rooted in the surroundings for me. It's a combination of both that gives you the weak signal for future. I love this word, Junoon. And when Junoon is combined with passion and purpose, I think opportunities themselves reveal. So what you're saying is that do we have to be always a self-kickstart? Or is there some things around us that help us to be that way? Because to always be self-motivated is not the easiest thing. Yeah. So I'm saying nothing substitutes self-motivation. But I'm not saying that you have to always be dependent on you for self-motivation. For that, choose your company, choose your surrounding, choose your environment. You know, Shumanta Gushal has this wonderful concept in the video, the smell of the place, where he compares Fontainebleau with downtown Kolkata. Mm. And without any umbrage to any of these places, what he's trying to say that in monsoons, if you're in downtown Kolkata, you'll not feel energetic. But in the spring, if you're in Fontainebleau, it will be like it's going to fire you up for doing something which is very enthusiastic. So we have a choice that in which weather, where we should be to get the inspiration for being self-motivated. 
So it's stimulus and response. Right. We can design an ecosystem of stimulus which can fire up. Right. Or we can be so uh, unaware that our surroundings are really sucking and we are not growing in that and yet we don't do anything. Right. That's where the choice comes into play. Yes, lots and lots of um, very- Have I answered your question? <laughs> yes. Uh, and yes, um, it's also um, putting me in a very thought, thought mode, I would say, and a lot of introspective mode as well. Because what you're saying is that it's so true that, you know, um, when we change the place also of where we are working, you know, it, like it's a rainy day today. And if I was just in bed, just, you know, tucked into my quilt and not wanting to get out, my mode of operation of like, you know, of even, even feeling motivated to do something would be just like so done. I take a quick shower, cold bath shower, and just like, you know, sit in front of a very nicely designed chair and a table. Suddenly my mood changes, right? And uh, I'm ready to go for the day. And these are the small things that we can do if we want to. But again, it has to come from you know, whether we want to do something about it or not. Yeah. You would have heard this. We are some of five people around us. Yes. But we have a choice to choose which five, five people we can choose as company. And I'm not saying you discard your old friends. Right. But you create the company with a purpose and vision in mind. So when I wanted to be a coach, I chose who are the world's five people and whose contact I must come with whom I should learn, with whom, to whom I should contribute also. It's never a one-way process. Mm. So once that clarity emerged, I got on a path to build those relationships. That's why it's an intentional choice. But you also say that relationships first and outcomes later. Always. <laughs> So should you just plunge into relationships and not think of the outcome that time? Outcomes are not in your control. Actually, I have many such counterintuitive statements. One I call learning first relevance later. Right. See, if you start thinking, oh, how this learning or course will come handy, nine out of 10 times you could develop cold feet and we may not plunge ourselves there into that but if the subject or the area is in sync with your vision and your subconscious interest you learn and then you see the magic universe conspires to make you successful right. many years ago i i did a program on balance scorecard from kaplan north in london and when i was doing some small consulting projects on that this time i met ramadurai and a couple of things happened and through a chance conversation, I landed in TCS to exactly implement balance scorecard. So see, learning first relevance came on its own. Many years later in 17, 2017, 19, I did my design thinking from Stanford and HPI port stamp. A significant amount of investment. Right. But within six months, I got the money back because Suddenly, I realized the projects related to design thinking are coming my way. Wow. Same is the analogy with people. See, as long as your values, your purpose, your alignment matches, you build relationship. 
of value. Right. Outcomes will happen on its own. And you talk about visualization, just like you said uh, right now. So how do you do that? How powerful has visualization been in your life? And what do you recommend to people who have never done it? Yeah, actually, I teach people uh, in my purpose discovery workshop. It starts with uh, something called uh, a narrative for future. So everybody writes a narrative for future, which starts, oh, I see a future borrowed from Martin Luther King, which is, I have a dream. Mm -hmm. So actually I used to write down, oh, I see a future where I would be among the top 100 coaches. Oh, I see a future where I would be doing this, this, this. Trust me, Ashna, you will not believe that 90% of those things that I visualize have happened and they come true. But one thing which I want to highlight is, Pure visualization does not work. Of you got to visualize and then you got to have your daily rituals and rigors to make things happen. It's like you building a castle. So one brick each day, right. to build it up. Right. So visualization works because you got to see it, you got to believe it and you got to achieve it in a structured way. Yeah. So um, just to introduce a lot that, um, you know, I probably haven't spoken about you, um, that you are a C-suite executive coaching uh, coach of Marshall Goldsmith. Like you said, you did a design thinking course Stanford uh, from Stanford. Um, you did your blue ocean strategy for INSEAD, then uh, global business strategy, Wharton, global innovation leadership, TAC business school, um, balance co-card, uh, Kaplan Norton, uh, NLP ontology, mindfulness, Kabat-Zinn. I think uh, the list is endless. Uh, you are also a Hogan certified practitioner. Please tell us, how do you do this? I mean, how do you get so much and more and still going on the path of learning? I have not even begun. Please tell me where do I start? See, I think the question, how do I end up doing something like this? Yes. Hmm. So I think I read a lot on things and then I browse a lot. And then I come across courses which fit in with my future. And one of the frameworks that I use what is your operating space? So my operating space is leadership, strategy, and culture. So anything of interest and intrigue, if it falls into that space, I like to explore further. And in the process of exploration, I discover courses which could be of meaning to me. And I have a kind of thing that X percentage of money that I earn in a year, I invest in learning. For me, it's learning tourism. And people can choose uh, whatever percentage they want. And this is something which I picked up from a book by Robin Sharma. Uh, he said that if you take out money from your wallet and invest in your learning, you will get money three times back. Mm. Now, this is not to say that I did because I wanted to earn three times. It's just because my interest and future seem to be converging through that course and learning, I thought, let me take a 
jump and plunge. I have set out for my eyes to do a course on creativity. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe, Arshana, that in my earlier days, earlier life, I didn't have the luxury to study a lot. So I thought, now I can afford famous learn. Mm-hmm. In fact, I often dream, if I didn't have to do anything in this world, I would have simply gone to any classroom and learn. One day anthropology, one day philosophy, one day social science. Bus exam ne hona chahiye. So in I would have just freaked out. <laughs> in between all this, you're also writing some books. Um, yeah. And everybody is writing books these days, uh, to be honest. And I'm very inspired as well. But how do you make your books different from, or what's the inspiration to write these books? Let's put it this way. Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things. Number one, who you are writing for, who is your audience. How through your writing you want to change something for them positively. Why you are the best person to write on that subject. What are the experiences, what authentic experiences have shaped you that those point of view which will make meaning to someone else. So it's a combination of these questions which motivate me to actually articulate what has happened in my life, but with the purpose to serve someone. The books are not meant to serve my ego. They are meant to serve an audience so that their life can change. I'm also on the mission of simplification. How can I simplify things for people? So all this, uh, if you divide your time in 24 hours, in which I would say eight hours of sleep, how are you dividing your time between your learning, between your coaching and changing lives of people, between your reading something, uh, because you are such an ardent reader, um, also um, very intense, I would say, but we will come to a f- rapid fire round because I want to see the other side of Himanshu as well. So how are you dividing your day and your family? Just now you had your PTM with, uh, you know, of your daughter. So I'm just wondering, how are you managing your 24 hours? Please tell us the mantra. I think I work 16 to 15 hours in a day. I manage with five and a half hours of sleep, but I sleep very sound. So I tire myself during the day. When I sleep, I just don't know what happens after that. And then automatically I wake up around anywhere between 4.45 and 5.50. Now, rest of the 15, 16 hours, where do they go? They go in three areas. Either I'm working with clients or I'm preparing and creating something for future or I'm learning so that I can generate new ideas, frameworks, and concepts. This is where my work is divided. On, and I learn through all these activities. So they are not compartmentalized. Like for example, if I'm working with a person as a coach, the questions that the coachee brings aren't the instrument for me to learn. So while I'm trying to handle that question, I'm also learning something new. In fact, I am grateful to 652 leaders who I have coached because they would have asked probably 6,000 questions in the entire journey collectively. And those 6,000 questions have made me rich in many ways. On reading, I read two pages or 10 minutes a day. And I've written an article, Let Reading Redefine Your Life. 
where a lot of assumptions have been busted where people say, oh, I don't get time, or I can't finish a book, or my work does not allow me. So for my, my message to them or those people are, just read two pages a day. But I read four or five books together. Maybe two pages from philosophy, two pages from management book, two, two pages from something of Malcolm Gladwell or a biography. So what happens when I read diversely? Each day I get a new idea and then connect the dots happen. And Archana, when you read voraciously, where would this information go? And the mind is going to work together, cross each other's path to force you to think and create new ideas. And that's where all these lines that you would have heard, like, let risk be your best friend and uh, learning first relevance later, they basically born out of the thought experiments that were happening. Mm. So this is where my I have the best job in the world because each day I'm with a different person or a group of people or a solo person. And that is a very exciting and inspiring journey for me. And uh, yeah, whenever uh, I'm not working, which is rarity, I'm always working, but working on the areas which I love. Uh, otherwise, uh, we take a lot of holidays and breaks. I travel a lot and I shoot videos on those places. And uh, yeah, that's how I spend my life. Good or bad, I don't know. It's beautiful. And uh, I also see iconic people on your platform like Ratan Dadaji himself uh, recently with you. What, what a moment, I would say. People are like, you know, uh, it, it, just looking at it and hearing you both was uh, such a moment for me. And I said, oh my goodness, this is, something that everybody would want to do, touch, get touched by uh, Ratan Taraji himself. So how was that experience? And what was that one learning that came out of um, that conversation for you? Yeah. I think this, this is part of my project, which is called Journey of Legends. Actually, I had met Alan Balali in 2017 or 18. He's a wonderful leader, was the CEO of uh, Ford and Boeing. And I found him so humble and such a wonderful conversationist he was. He gets the best out of people. And just by being in his company for an hour plus, I felt was so much I could learn from him. So that chance meeting led me that how can I capture conversation or authentic story of people? This is where the idea of journey of legends began. And uh, my interview with Mr. Ratandara is part of that series, Journey of Legends. And I'm going to uh, have a conversation with many global leaders. And a lot of people actually watched this conversation and they said two things. Oh, we have never seen Mr. Tara so comfortable sharing so joyfully. So the idea that how can I hold this space for people? So they feel like sharing, which otherwise they would not share normally. And through that authentic sharing, can we pick up one or two ideas to inspire the people who I work with or those who watch by themselves, can they pick up an idea for their transformation? And coming back to what is that one thing 
very difficult to answer, but one thing which I learned or rather relearned is how to stay humble despite so much of achievement. Again, being in the company or the man himself for those 45, 50 minutes, it just inspires you on one end. It also makes you humble on the other hand. It is so true. And uh, I don't know how, I don't feel that I'm trying to just say it because uh, you said it just now. But to be honest, this one hour with you, it's giving me the same feeling. I do not want to end this conversation. There is so much learning that I have got from this conversation, Himanshu, today. And I would love to continue it. But thank you uh, for sharing from your heart, being as authentic as you can. And I hope that this platform also gave you that comfort where you could be open. And I'm trying to achieve exactly what you're trying to achieve with the icons. I'm trying to achieve with just anybody who has a story and can touch somebody's life. And that's how the second act can begin. <laughs> thank you for making me feel like icon, although I don't believe I'm there anywhere. But uh, as you rightly said, your questions, your genuine curiosity and interest made me reveal a part of me. And uh, in doing that, I felt comfortable and I felt liberated and I felt uh, satisfied that maybe some of these ideas can act as those triggers or nuggets of wisdom for others to follow. Not follow the path that I followed, but the path that they would like to follow. So thank you for uh, holding this space for me and making me share a part of my life, Arjuna. Truly, truly happy to be here. So true. So just before we go, uh, one last question and then we have five rapid fire, which will be quick. So last question before we go is of course, how do you discover your second act? A lot has come out of course, but I want you to define it so that, you know, this is my, of course, go-to question, what's your second act and how do you define it? Yeah. I'm just thinking about it because sometimes you do, but to articulate that as a process is always a challenge. And I think how do you define your second act is paying attention to that creative dissatisfaction that you have. So whatever you are doing, you are doing well, you are happy. But there is something which is not being addressed. And I call that the elements of creative dissatisfaction. I would suggest that when you sense those creative dissatisfaction, don't sit but deepen your inquiry. What am I really not satisfied about it? What is it that I can do which can make me come fully alive? Mm -hmm. What would I like to read, learn, teach, transfer? So when you start paying attention to those weak signals, you are motivated to redefine your value proposition for future. So your second act is nothing but a redefined value proposition. A value proposition which fits in with time, reality, now, not with your past. So if I have to sum up in three statements, identify, acknowledge, recognize your creative dissatisfaction. Hmm. Amplify that to see what kind of new value proposition you can stitch. Mm. And third is 
once you discovered your new value proposition what would you do by sitting on that so who you can take it to now in the end i believe there are three levels of living one is survival level second is success level and third is significance level and as soon as significance comes from service so with your value proposition and you serve an audience or a context you gain significance and that's where your second act or third act or fourth act will actually become alive thank you wonderful these are going to go in a book maybe when i will write one day i'm going to compile a book with all my second act interviews and taking the best out of them and this will come out on you are building a wonderful treasure i must say it is thanks to uh, of course uh, somebody like you who's on this platform so now quickly five rapid fire what does himanshu can't stay without rapid fire books and reading <laughs> books and reading uh, we need some quirky answers here himanshu books and reading we have heard many times now the second question is if himanshu hmm. had to really go on a date who would that person be never thought about that ye platform hai public ka but hum isme fir bhi i mean now we are in a age i feel always now comfortable when somebody is giving me a compliment or something it's just now i'm like you know in the mid of everything it doesn't matter it's maybe not- maybe michelle obama <laughs> oh yeah i know what an icon okay so next question is your favorite book I don't have a favorite book, but I book that I love most is book called How Stella Saved the Farm. It's a beautiful parable written by Vijay Govind Rajan on innovation. It's very simple, uh, very inspiring. Okay, uh, one line that you use the most. Two things can change the course of your life: the books that you read and people that you meet. <laughs> okay, all right. And one last thing that you want to tell to our listeners. Uh, our viewers, uh, what is that one last thing that you want to leave us with? Yeah, I think a lot of people in this world given a lot of importance to failures in life, and my message to them, guys, failure is just a learning moment. Failure is not defeat. So find inspiration from failure. It's a step to the success. That's my message to people. Okay, beautiful, and thank you so much again. And uh, may we keep discovering our inner potential, our second acts, thanks to people like you. So, Himanshu, what a great day! What a great start! I cannot thank you enough. Truly honored to be here. I hope it serves your purpose. And I learned a few things that how sharing actually can make us discover new insights about yourself. So I'm going to encourage others also to do that. Thank you, Ashram, for having me on your second next show. Thank you.